Riverside Chats is sponsored by listeners like you. Pitch in to keep this podcast going strong, bringing you the unique perspectives, personalities, and topics you love. Click the listener support link in the podcast notes for this episode to learn more. Fisheye Kombucha believes kombucha is best when local. Just as local culture is key to kombucha brewing, local culture is key to a successful business. Fisheye Kombucha started operations in 2017, although the legend began brewing many moons before that. Fisheye Kombucha operates in Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, and is Nebraska's first kombucha brewing company. Fisheye Kombucha can be purchased at a variety of spots around town, both on tap and in growlers at locations such as Growler USA, Infusion Brewing Company, Noli's, Modern Love, The T-Smith, Vitality Bowls, and you can also find Fisheye Kombucha at the Gifford Park Neighborhood Market Friday nights and the Omaha Farmer's Market in Exarbon Village on Sunday mornings. Drink the good life. Drink Fisheye Kombucha. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, back again with another conversation with someone doing interesting things that you may or may not already know about. The fun thing about this show is whether you know who the person is or whether you are just hearing about them for the first time, my hope is that you get a little sense of like, you know, it's like by proxy, you kind of get to talk to them too. You might not ask the same questions that I do, uh, but you know, you get a sense of like, if you were to be sitting in a room talking to this person, this is kind of what they're like. So... I find playwrights are people who, a lot of the time, it's like, I have no idea. Like, I don't know. Like, I get a, I don't know. It's like somehow I can get a sense, I feel like, of what a person will be like if I read a book that they've written, if I watch a movie that they've written or directed or whatever. But someone who's written plays, there's this there's this element that's like, they're these special different sorts of artists. It's like, you know, they're, they're writing a play is something that's, it's hard to do because of the limitations of it. Because it's like... You know you don't have... I mean, if you're making a play in Nebraska, you probably don't have a Broadway budget. So you're limited in terms of space. You're limited in terms of the amount of people and props and everything else. And so the people who are able to successfully do that and be really ambitious with it are incredibly impressive. So my guest today, Mary Oliver, is one of the people who's been able to do that. She's written a couple different plays that have premiered at the Apollon Theater, and she's also an actress. She's been in various, um, you know, productions, uh, at least one movie that well two movies that she's been in so one of them was the feature level up which uh i don't know if you if you happen to have gone to that it was a local action movie written and directed by faustus mcgreaves i did the q a after the second screening of that so that was the first time i actually met mary uh as well as mike burns who was previously on this show so uh you know that was an action movie and i i don't know if you understand if you haven't tried to make a movie but doing action is difficult, especially doing action with no budget is difficult. Uh, I don't know what kind of budget they had, but it was, it was low, you know. And uh, yeah, pe- people, uh, it's hard to get them to do what you want. I remember I, I worked with an actor who, I don't say this to be a jerk because he and I are on good terms and I think he would understand. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say something a little unflattering. But it's like this one actor, uh, not only could I, would I probably have had trouble doing an action scene with him, but it's like I would put down pennies on the ground and... Uh, <laughs> he would just like pick up the penny and bring it back to me or he'd get really confused he's like, which which foot goes on the penny i don't know how to stand here um and that's not to say he's a bad actor at all i love him he's one of my favorite actors i try to get him in every single movie i've ever done uh we're great friends but sometimes it's hard to get sort of a choreography that you have in your mind a blocking you have in your mind and to know how to execute it in a way that both looks good and everybody's on board with everybody's able to make flow well 
And so it's really impressive when that's done well, uh, both in terms of the direction of the scene, as well as just the actor being able to roll with that. And the craziest thing about Level Up to me was that it started out as a short. I think it was supposed to be around 20 minutes long, and then it ended up being an hour 40 or something along those lines. So they were figuring out that on set for the most part. And to hear Mary talk about that is very exciting. Also, Mary's somebody who has another interest, which is military and specifically uh, being a woman in the military that's not a story you see told all that often so I talked to her about that as well so before I get into that let me just remind you what started as Benson First Friday is now officially known as BFF same great people same great organization new name this change will help BFF reach new communities as they continue to grow BFF is dedicated to supporting the region's emerging and established artists by creating opportunity, exposure, and experiences that help them move forward while enriching the cultural competency of the greater Omaha area. BFF to the arts. BFF to the community. BFF. So yeah, Mary Oliver does something where not only does she have her own perspective, but she's also telling military stories. So she acted in the movie Silence. And I talk a little bit about that, a little bit about the culture of being in a film that has something difficult, such as sexual assault uh, being portrayed and her experience with that. But then also just to tell military stories from the perspective that she has. And so she also wrote this immersive play for Apollon um, called SOS, which was an incredibly ambitious, uh, exciting play that I hope goes different places because I didn't get a chance to see it. I talked to her about it. And I think she has more she wants to do with it. So hopefully that happens. And then also one other thing that you should be watching out for is there's a podcast that she is doing now called Haze. So we talk about that sci-fi project will be coming out next year. So all kinds of exciting things. Mary is a prolific person and she's just, she's a nice human. She's interested in things. She's ambitious. She's smart. So yeah, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, definitely somebody who you need to watch out for. See what she's up to in the next few years as she continues to have additional opportunities. So this is my conversation with Mary Oliver. Uh, but before I get to it, let me quickly remind you, if you want to contribute to our show, feel free to head on over to patreon.com slash Creative. If you give us a couple dollars, a dollar a month, five dollars a month, there are different tiers of rewards that you get for that or like thanks, grat- gratitude things i don't know what we're calling them but you get some uh you know some perks from it uh and including some exclusive audio content so please feel free to head on over there subscribe leave us review everything you usually do with podcasts and now enjoy my conversation with the great writer and actress mary oliver Well, so I first became, I think, aware of some of the creative stuff you did when I, when I saw Level Up. Oh. Uh, because I I had seen it because I know Faust is kind of like, we always mm-hmm. do the Q&A for each other's stuff. Um, and so I had seen that movie. I don't know how long you've been acting in Omaha, though. Like, what other projects? Where did it all, where did that all start? Uh, Silence. Silence was the first one? Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't know if you know Julie Hudson's Silence. Uh, I've heard of the movie. I haven't seen it, though. Okay. Well, it's been mostly releasing in I'm, I'm not really sure what the release plan <laughs> is like it showed yeah. at the Omaha Film Festival and there was one showing at one of the um well what's it called VAs okay yeah yeah because okay so that was I'll, I don't know a ton about it but I know it's got you know the military angles kind of whatever oh yeah okay so it is about PTSD okay but its focus is less on um, the soldier 
herself in this case and more on the impact on the family. Okay. Because it's not supposed to be just someone comes back and they hurt. It's supposed to show someone comes back, they hurt, and this hurts the family. Okay. And it also uh, brings up the topic of sexual assault in the military, which is something that the army well all branches of the military really struggling with struggling with in terms of like how to fix it how to fix it how to address it okay it is something that does not have an easy solution and it required it requires cultural change which the army is trying very hard to do but you know it's just it's hard to change a culture in general well it's prevalent in civilian culture too right yeah it's just that I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and you've got, I mean, you it's just did a, National Guard training, is that right? Yeah, I just finished National Guard training. How was that? Well, that was, it was fun. Was it? Yeah, okay. no, it was It was both exhausting and fun because, like, for example, one evening I spent the night just sleeping in a, a Humvee. Uh, no, okay, I had one Humvee that I was staying in throughout the whole time. But this particular night, I was with the field artillery, and we were doing a battalion movement, and the battalion moves last, and they were doing, well, you have the two-thirds, one-third, you have one that's moving, two of them are covering. But anyway, the battalion was moving, and by the time we got to our location, it was just downpouring, lightning, thunder everywhere, and... We just like look out our windows. We're like, we are not setting up a talk. We are not setting up anything. We're just, we don't have room to take off our body armor, Kevlar, anything because there's just too much gear in here. So we're just going to sit here and attempt to sleep in, in the in the car or the Humvee. In the Humvee, the Humvee in the yeah. armor, in the Kevlar. How did, were you able so to get to sleep? So when I say it's fun. <laughs> I don't know why. Is it one of those things where like, it's fun in retrospect? You can look back and like, that was crazy that that happened. I think that's it. I think yeah. it's that it's so different from what my normal life is that in retrospect, it seems exciting, <laughs> even though it was miserable during <laughs> the actual event. I think in some ways, uh, you know, even like that actually is really hard. But it's like, you know, even if you're making a local movie or you're acting or you're doing a creative <laughs> production, sometimes you get that something similar to that where it's like, yeah, that was kind of miserable the whole time, but I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Uh, Kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so let's, Although, let's go. I don't think anything in film has really approached some of the... Oh, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, like, no, <laughs> but bad. the thing is, like, I talk about this, and then I'm like, there's people who are actually field artillery who this is completely normal for, yeah. or people who have done deployments, and this is just this status like this is just what they did for me like one night of this <laughs> but for civilians anyway you know, yeah like, I don't well know. i'm the public affairs officer so okay yeah. yeah well so did you come from a military family my dad graduated from west point okay but, uh we've always had someone in the military in the family but were you are you did you grow up in nebraska i grew up between um i was born in texas and then we moved to iowa and then we moved to nebraska Okay, and so so pretty much always Midwest stuff mm-hmm. and the culture. Yes. Was it? I mean, military culture in the family? No, not really. Okay, <laughs> what was it like? I mean, what kind of what kind of childhood was it? Uh, very sheltered. My dad is a huge opera nerd. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and my mom likes Latin jazz, so you know, I never was able to talk about actually popular music with anyone growing up. <laughs> was were they sheltering you from it, or were they just not interested in they it? They just didn't have an interest. So. Okay. 
I was very much ignorant, unaware of what the Spice Girls were. <laughs> Did you have siblings? I'm or a triplet. Triplet? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, was that just the three then? Two sisters more? who are my age, and they have one brother who's a year younger. Okay. Were, were they interested in things outside of opera and Latin jazz or whatever? <laughs> Uh, Catherine was the first to break that cultural wall. Yeah. Did he, you know, then so like showing you some of that stuff? Yeah. Okay. I think I was introduced to Coldplay somewhere in middle school. Oh boy. Yeah. That's, that's pretty different <laughs> from opera. So, I mean, were you interested, I mean, did you have interest as a kid in like acting and writing and some of those things? I've always loved make-believe. Okay. So, Storytelling? Yeah. At, like at some point in early middle school, my mom was like, Mary, you need to stop pretending to be a cat because <laughs> people are talking about you. So, I <laughs> and mean, so then I just started writing. So, <laughs> quick jump from cat to writer. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I mean, where did you, like, what stories were you in love with at the time that, like, what was sort of inspiring you or telling you what a good story was, even? Harry Potter, definitely. Okay. Like, Big into reading that series. Big into reading Harry Potter. Um, I also love the Bartimaeus trilogy. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, did you gravitated towards sort of fantasy, sort of make-believe? Definitely fantasy. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when you started writing stories, was there like a component in school ever where you had to write stories, or was it just on your own? Um, uh, I tried to sign up for the creative writing classes. However, there was only one. Only like, one in my high school. So you couldn't so, get into it? Is that what you mean? So I got into it, but... Between elementary school and high school, I had only one class that actually involved any form of creative writing. Yeah, how'd that go? Not very well, but I don't think that it was that I was a poor writer. It's that I wasn't writing to the audience. The audience being the teacher? Being high school students. Sure, okay. I wanted to write stuff that was, I don't know, not I guess simply not what they wanted to read, which... So, you know, you're in high school and you're a writer and you you create stuff. So, you while you might like something, you also look at how it's received. Mm-hmm. And that feedback loop, you're like, okay, why isn't anyone liking this? Why isn't anyone liking this? I'm getting good grades on this, but no one seems to really have an interest. But I think that was mostly because we were high schoolers and it just what went over well was humorous stuff and yeah. stuff that was very clever or you know well like so i mean the the kind of startling what does it even mean for it to be successful like did, like them talking about it or passing <laughs> well, it around you or know like, i was a high schooler i didn't know what it meant <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, like to, to reach i think to most high schoolers it means it's popular which like everyone's talking about it well the class at least yeah. I, I didn't aspire beyond the class i wasn't that ambitious oh okay <laughs> so what kind of stuff i mean were kids writing popular things though like in the class did was there something that somebody who was able to sort of capture the yeah there were a few okay and so what kind of stories were they writing uh definitely they were writing com- comedic pieces so like okay, so it's just like funny yeah stuff, stuff or, that made okay. people laugh, that made people smile. And you were know. writing or kind stuff of, with oh. like a dark twist. Sure, okay, so like mm. stuff that's not necessarily like subtle. It's sort of just like big and goes for it. Mm. And what were you writing though? Um, well, I don't think what I was writing was particularly good in retrospect. But well, you're in high school. No, you know, nobody's I was writing in high, in high school. school yeah. So <laughs> what was um, it though? I, I don't even really know. Probably something really edgy. Yeah, <laughs> but not edgy enough to capture the class. Uh, no. Was do you think? I mean, it was probably too emo edgy. Oh, were you, were you an emo kid? 
Uh, in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't manifest outwardly. <laughs> no. <laughs> was the emo sort of like you said? You were sort of like a sheltered upbringing. Yeah. Was it in some ways like a rebellious element there, or? You see, I don't. I don't really think so. Okay. Because it was too. In order for it to be a rebellion, there would have had to have been some outward manifestation, I think. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Is there so, some, I'm trying to think now. Is there an like, inward rebellion? You, can you have a passive-aggressive rebellion? Yeah. I, I, I'm choosing to say yes, <laughs> although I don't know of any examples. Okay. Well. <laughs> so that's what, okay. Maybe a passive-aggressive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Were you, I mean, was there in your, like, even just internally some kind of rejection of things around you, though? I mean, or were you pretty much okay with everything that was going on? Oh, well... You mean, I think everyone in high school is mostly, I don't know, do high schoolers really like other high schoolers? No, I don't think so. That's why I'm, I'm yeah, trying to wonder, like, were you writing, when was, were you trying to express something that was sort of like angry or upset or I mean, where was that? Or just passive aggressive? Um, well, I can definitely say I was writing a more angry She-Ra-like character. Okay. <laughs> and did, I mean, when was the point when you started to have ambitions beyond, you know, the high school class though? Like, you know, cause. I think that. I just really f- discovered that I like to write. I like the creation process, the world building. Mm-hmm. I love exploring characters' emotions. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, when what, when you were thinking about college, was there ever a point where you're like, I want to study writing? Or, I mean, at that point? Well, I always wanted to write. And it, so I was like, okay, how do I write as a profession? Mm-hmm. Well, and unless I'm like you know, ready to publish a novel and somehow like out of the a zillion novels that get submitted, this one is going to be accepted by a publishing company. Well, I think that I should become an English teacher. Yeah. Okay. I never became an English teacher. <laughs> well, but that, that's <laughs> but, a, that's a popular route for writers though. I mean, yes. Inspiring writers anyway. It's like mm-hmm. if I'm sort of forced to engage with English in this way, I can kind of make some money. I'll have some time to write. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, did you try, did you try to go to college for that then? Uh, I initially went to college for that and okay. then I became a psych major. What was the shift there? The shift there was that I had to take a class in psychology and discovered I liked it. And then I realized that I only liked cognitive psychology. Interesting. Okay. So, but you're like, were you still wanting to be a writer at that point? Okay. Yes. I was like, okay, maybe I can do something with psychology and then write. Okay. So. So you're like, bye English. All right. I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to be a teacher. I like English, but (laughs) I have no desire to teach. Have you ever had to like, you know, do some sort of teaching in any capacity? You know, like even Um, just to a group or something like that? Well, I was briefly an English teacher in Costa Rica through an ROTC trip. And how'd that go? Well, I don't know if it's really was a good example for what teaching was like because I don't speak any Spanish. I was supposed to go to Japan, but there was an earthquake (laughs) and they decided to send all of us who had been studying Japanese to Costa Rica. And so did you figure out how to do anything with it or was it just sort of like... The only thing I succeeded at was teaching them how to make paper airplanes. <laughs> well, you taught them something though. You know, you don't they really like them. Transcends language, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So cognitive psychology, why that? What was interesting about that? I guess I just find the way that neurons and like neurotransmitters fire how this all happens is just interesting because 
that's like the real how it all works stuff. Like I yeah. remember when I was in high school, I decided for at some point I was like, maybe I want to be a psychologist of some or like a therapist or something. And then I took AP psych and it's all that kind of stuff, the cognitive stuff. And it's like, I don't know, like it's too abstract for me to like figure out what to do with any of it. And it sort of turned me off. Well, um, I like, I, I seem to like both extremes of those. I don't like the, I don't like behavioral. I don't find that interesting. But I like the uh, pseudo-psychology of Jung, but I also either Jung or the go all the way down to the neurons and neurotransmitters. Okay. But not that middle ground. <laughs> so, I mean, did you think you want to study psychology? Like, what kind of job were you thinking of moving toward? I had no idea. Oh, you're just like, I like this, so I'm going to yeah. study it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go to school? Truman State in Where's Missouri. That? Okay. So you were out of state then, or you're away from home. Uh, were you with people who were who wanted to do artsy things at all? I well, I became president of the role playing games club. Okay. So I think does that answer your question? I suppose I don't know. So what? what I kind don't know of, if that's artsy, but it's definitely it's creative. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's a little different than just like psych nerds or something. I suppose. <laughs> there, there were a few psych nerds. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just overgeneralizing. There were a lot of programming nerds. Okay, yeah. I don't have any idea who the kind of people are who do that, actually, to be honest. Um, generally, just nerds. Nerds in general. Nerds <laughs> yeah. of anything. All nerds. Yeah. Welcome. All flavors. <laughs> so, I mean, what were you writing at the time, though, as you started uh, to study psych? Um, well, I've always been writing. Like, so. what kind? Of, what were you writing at the time? Mm. Like, were they books? Or, I mean, what sort of projects were they? Just short stories. Short stories? Okay. Did Mostly you, short stories. Was there, I mean, were you doing anything with them? Were you like putting them out, out in the world in some way? No. Okay. Just, I sat just on you? them. <laughs> were you afraid people wouldn't like them? Is that part of it? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I ever felt like I was ready to put this out there. This was something, what I was writing was stuff that was for me. Mm-hmm. And by that, I don't mean it was too private or I was ashamed of it, but I didn't truly feel the need to share it. Okay, that makes sense. So it was very internal, I suppose. And so were you doing any acting at this point? No. Okay. Uh, Not until my senior year where uh, as my final capstone project, I decided to write a murder mystery dinner theater. Okay. Was it like an immersive sort of one? uh, It was not as immersive as I wish it was, but it was a little like, so I used the role-playing games club because we as the role-playing games club really like to try to trick people into role-playing because, you know, people, there used to be more of a stigma around role-playing and LARPing. So Mm -hmm. we're like, what if we create events? That's very similar to role playing, and just not tell people that it's role playing. What's an example? Like, how, how do you trick somebody into LARPing? We, we had something called Quad Fest. Okay. In which we would go to the quad, wear costumes and stuff, and create all types of games and quests. Like, like and say, okay, uh, this person approaches you on like the campus. They say, hey, I need you to do blank for me do whatever i need over there in the sunken garden i there's this troll that has this something so we'd create these plot lines and basically approach random people and say hey i need you to do this and they'd be like 
look at their watch and be like, well, passing period's almost over. Or they'd be like, no, I'm not doing this. Or sometimes they were like, okay, cool, and you're offering me a prize. I don't know, some, like, handy or something. And so in this way, we tried to trick people into LARPing with us. What was the appeal of tricking people into it? Because we want, we thought that, you know, maybe if they realized that what they're doing was not, like, some shameful, scary thing, they'd be more open to... So it's just to, like, to grow so, the community. Yeah, to okay. grow the community. Like, hey, so what you were doing was LARPing, was role-playing. But you, you, you didn't look. You, you haven't suddenly like grown glasses, and <laughs> your your pockets don't have protectors. <laughs> yeah, you don't have suspenders now or anything. But well, like, so th- did you try to in tricking them? Was it ever like a story where it's not? It doesn't involve like a troll or something, or you were still going to embrace that element of whatever the, the mission is? Is kind of has a uh, fantastical element. Actually, well, there were, one year we had ninjas. There was definitely princesses. We <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Do I mean, are people receptive to that who aren't into Like, I've, I'm trying to think. What would, I mean, if you're trying to reach somebody who, like, hates role-playing or thinks they hate role-playing, and maybe they don't want to hear, like, a fantasy element, was there, like, a, a, a mission that involved something that's more down-to-earth? Well, everyone really likes candy. So, so that's, that's all. So <laughs> whatever else, as long as there's candy. Like, pretty much, if this person's like, well... This seems easy enough, and there's candy at the end. <laughs> Did the recruitment work? We it varied from year to year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do, were people? I don't know how it works exactly. So in role playing, do you guys make up the own make up the story of the role play, or is it? Uh, you can do that. So <laughs> you can have homebrew games, which means I am creating a setting, I'm creating the rules, or you can have preset games. Where you're like, I'm going to pick up Dungeons and Dragons and it has rules for me. Okay. And it has a world for me. Or I can just scrap the world it provides and just use the rules. And then you have modules, which have I, a story and it has the rules and it has everything. And you don't really need to create anything. So it really depends, depends on what you want to do. How, did you get uh, tricked by the lure of candy to start role playing? Or where'd you, where did this begin for you? Um, well, my brother's DM needed someone to fill in for a player who was missing in high school. And so I mean, before that, did you have, you know, uh, you know, specific judgment or anything of this or were you, did you think it was cool or where were you with it all? Well, I would like to remind you that I had previously pretended to be a cat. So. Sure. So you fit right in really. <laughs> uh, so, so you were like, were you excited about it? You're like, oh, I can't wait to be a part of this. Yeah. I was very okay. excited. And then, so you just stuck with it. It's like this is part of a way yes. to sort of express creativity and whatever else you want. Absolutely. Wanted. Okay. And so then you, when you were in, I mean, so you're finishing your degree in, did you get the degree in psychology? I got the degree in English. I switched back. So you back. switched back. What was that? What was that story? Uh, I realized that I was definitely not going to graduate anywhere near on time with psychology and that I disliked the majority of psychology that middle ground that middle ground yeah. the behavioral health and child development and <laughs> so okay. most of psychology so you're like okay english fine yes but it wasn't teaching it was just no. english it was english i had aspirations of journalism i believe okay which is why i ended up working at a title company for three years i worked at a title insurance place too uh <laughs> I I don't know which one you worked at. The one I worked at was run by this guy. I think it's he still runs it, but like it was very an, it was a very unprofessional office setting. 
uh, very crude, lots of screaming <laughs> and like throwing things. Well, we didn't have that. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that that wasn't a great atmosphere. The one I was in no. was your, yours was like normal, normal uh, office. You don't need to talk about it if you don't want to. Well, it's it's really not that exciting because I spent my whole day pretty much just listening to audiobooks while I processed logistical paperwork. Yeah, I mean, my I I just had headphones in for the most part and I did paperwork as well when I worked <laughs> there and just tuned everything out. But I did listen to the entire Wheel of Time series on audiobook during so, that period. Okay, I've never read those, but they're fantasy, right? And there's yes. how many volumes or how many part how many books Ooh, in it? Ooh, I think there's fourteen. AC and they're big too, right? They are very long. Wow. So did you like it? Was it fun? Did yes. you listen to it all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a marathon though. <laughs> <laughs> so English, you switched back. What kind of English did you end up focusing on? Or was it just a, a variety composition. of composition? Composition? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so interest in journalism. What kind of journalism were you interested in? Any type. I just wanted to write. Okay. I wanted to get paid to write in some form, fashion. And so was the title insurance place sort of like a day job for you to figure out how to do that then? Yes. Okay. So how did you go about trying to figure out how to get paid to write? Well, I'm still trying to figure that out. Sure. Well, <laughs> what's the process? Where did it start at that point? Um, I think that it allowed me to have the stability to actually work on projects. And so, so okay, what were some of the first projects? The Apollon Theater. Mm-hmm. I wrote a murder mystery for them set in the civil, like post-Civil War, about seven years after the Civil War. And they were the first real people who I pitched something to. How'd you first even think to contact them, or how'd that all come about? Well, my boyfriend at the time just brought me into the office, and the Apollon's office, and one of the owners was there, and he was basically like, hey, she writes, she should submit something, and they were like, well, okay, we'll see what she submits when she submits it. Were they skeptical, (laughs) or were they like open to whatever you wanted to submit? They were, they were open. But you had to impress them still. Yes. Yeah. Like, they weren't just going to take whatever I threw at them. And so, did you... I mean, were you familiar with the Apollon at all at that point? No. Or, okay. So no. That was my first interaction with them ever. <laughs> <laughs> but you said you're in this situation now where you think, like, okay, I have to give them something that will impress them. So, I have to figure out how to impress them in some way, right? Well... I don't know if I really went through that process. Like, you're just I, like, I just... I was like, oh, cool. They're casting for this Harry Potter show. Uh, I have no idea how to audition. I've never auditioned for anything. I don't know how to act, but whatever. I'm just going to go there and I'm going to memorize. I'm going to memorize the... I'm just blanking on the word. Not soliloquy. The monologue? Yeah, I'm going to... I don't know. I just lost the word, but monologue. Yes, monologue. I'm going to memorize a monologue because that's what the casting call requires. And I'm going to show up and uh, probably not get anything because I don't know how to act. So this was okay. So this, this was, was just before, for acting. This was for acting. So okay. Yeah. And you do you know what role? Did you know at that point what role it was? Uh, they were. It was just open casting call for um, any role in their first Harry Potter production. And you did you want to act? Well, it seemed like it was fun. Okay, so just just another experience. And, <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, just like, why not? Why who, not go for it? <laughs> did the LARPing give you any skills that were useful for acting? I had, I would like to assume so. Like which ones? Like how? What, what do you think you took away from that? That uh, I, I think I took away from it a comfortable 
uh, coming up with stuff on the fly, mm-hmm. staying in character, and interacting with random people. Like, Those are all really useful, though. Like yeah, the quad fair. Yeah. Interact with random people without being ashamed. Yes. How, was that a process for you to get rid of some of that? Just like the random shame people have to be goofy or open or big? Actually, I have a lot easier. It's a lot easier for me to interact with random people as a character than it is for me to interact with some random person when I'm currently being myself. Right. Yeah, because that makes sense. that character does not have my fears. Yes. Yeah. That character will disappear as soon as I take that costume off. So whatever happens to them... It's not happening to me. Jimmy, do you think that applies even just in like normal social settings, though, where it's like you're playing the role of a person working at a title place or you're playing the role of a person, you know, doing whatever? If so, I've never managed it. Okay. (laughs) But I mean, you got to the point of being like comfortable in, you know, investing in some sort of fictional person or character. Yes. And so you were able to bring that even just the audition. Did you know how to memorize lines at all? Well, I've always played, I've played viola since I was about nine or 10. That's so, right. You played in level up too, don't you? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And so, uh, I was memorized sheet music from a young age. So I, maybe that <laughs> helped me. I don't know. I never would have thought about that in that way, but yeah, I guess that makes sense. Cause I mean, you're teaching your brain to memorize sort of sequences of things mm-hmm. for however long and patterns of, you know, notes or words. So when you when you decided to memorize something for the audition, what what did you end up using? <laughs> I used um, Satan's monologue from Paradise Lost. Wow. Okay. So that which that, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely like an English major thing to pick, you know. Yeah, it's not even a play. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, are you a big fan of Milton then? Yes. Okay. I love Paradise Lost. So you've got, okay, so your interests tend to, you know, they, they vary in a lot of different ways, right? You're sort of all over the place in what you're interested in, it seems. Maybe. What else did you study in, when, when you got the English degree? Well, this that you is, liked? okay, speaking of varying, mm-hmm. I also got a minor in military uh, science. Yeah, see, you're all over the place. <laughs> I don't know. So, okay, the mi- military science. So you, were you thinking military as a potential future at that point then too? Well, I was in the ROTC program. Oh, that's right. Okay, you already were. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's always been sort of a part of your plan then. Yes. In you're, some way. You're assuming there's actually a plan. Well, you know, it's, you know, whatever the plan is for however long you have it, you know, it's mm-hmm. like you're kind of figuring out something. Uh, so, okay. So Milton, you go in with Milton and what kind of, did you give him like a voice or what, what was the performance like? Well, it was my first attempt at an English accent ever. Because it's Harry Potter, so because that's it's Harry Potter, and it's, yeah. you know, Milton, so right. they're not going to have American accents. Right. So Satan was going to have at least an attempted British accent. <laughs> no specified region, because... <laughs> <laughs> did you listen to a lot of British people speak, or did you just think, like, this sounds British enough? Um, I listened to... I, I think I was listening to an audiobook. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so you go in there. How long was the monologue that you memorized? Uh, only wow. like a few minutes. It's not very long. It's was pretty it, short. Was it an intense one? Like, you know, you're like, were you yelling or anything? Oh, yeah. So this is uh, Satan's monologue is Satan is struck down from heaven into hell on a lightning bolt. And he wakes up in hell and realizes this place is awful. It's dark and gloomy here. And I don't have forever ever going to see the light of heaven again. But, uh... And I am unjustly put here because because of God's might rather than intellect. Right. Something like that. So he's blaming God 
he's upset, he's angry, he's despairing, and then he rallies. He's like, okay, well, at least I'd rather be here and rule myself than be serving God in heaven. I'd rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the lines from it, isn't it? Yes. Okay, so that's emotional, it's big. Yeah. And it must have gone over well, right? Well, I was cast as McGonagall, so that was fun. <laughs> Is that <laughs> I who got you... cast. <laughs> was it, did uh, McGonagall have a big role in this production? Uh, well, everyone had a... It was a small cast. Okay. And... So everyone got a pretty significant part of it. As McGonagall, did you have to do teaching in the play? Yes. Oh, so you did end up back <laughs> as a teacher in some way. How'd uh, that go? Well, I taught Transfiguration, which, you know, is difficult because magic isn't real. Or if it is, I'm not a witch, unfortunately. Sure. <laughs> but in that place, I mean, you're, you're memorizing lines, but, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Did Would you say that you're brief ambitions to become a teacher were useful at all and kind of like were you able to get back into that mindset of like this is how a teacher acts or was it all sort of gone at that point just I really kind of just made it up as I went along (laughs) most of it was really just keeping the story moving because or keeping people on task in a way that I felt was appropriate to the character because McGonagall is very witty snarky Mm -hmm. and it doesn't take anyone's Sure. She, she she's not gonna just like let some random student distract the whole class with their nonsense. She's going to mock their nonsense and then get them back on focus. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, did did it go well? Then you liked doing it. It did. I realized that acting is fun, and I wanted to do more of it. Oh, okay. So then, how do you do that? Then, what's the mindset of like I want to act more? Well, I'm friends with Katie Otten, right? Who yeah. does acting. Yeah, you know, Katie. She's, she's pretty well known in Omaha. I think. Yeah, well, I've worked with Katie a couple times. Uh-huh. Yeah. And she was like, Mary, you should just follow casting calls. Look at Tag. Look at everywhere they have casting calls. And Katie, th- does Katie do LARPing too? I have not LARPing, but she does role playing, tabletop, lots of Dungeons and Dragons. What's the difference between tabletop and LARPing? LARPing is you're going to go out in a costume and actually pretend to be the person, okay. like physically. And then tabletop is you're going to sit around the table and it's entirely theater of the mind. So you're not walking around with a sword. Okay. Pretending it, you're, to fight. Okay. You're it's just in your mind you have a sword. the table describing how you're pretending to fight. <laughs> okay. Got it. All right. <laughs> so she does that. And so did you meet her through that or how did you meet Katie? Oh, Katie is a friend of a friend. Okay. That has become my friend now. Okay, yeah. that makes sense then. All right. So you started to look for things. What sort of uh, you know, acting opportunities had opened up then? I mean, what were the next ones after Harry Potter? Uh, Star Wars. Star, in what sense? Like what kind of Star Wars thing? Uh, the Apollon was doing a Star Wars production. Okay, so you mm-hmm. stuck with Apollon then? You know, yes. did multiple productions with mm-hmm. them? Were you, at yep. that point, thinking about writing something for Apollon as well? Or was it just acting? It was always in the back of my mind. And okay. And I was... Studying to be a paralegal at this time, I also was, uh, but during passing periods, I was writing the murder mystery, which they ended up calling, ooh, I always just called it the murder mystery. <laughs> they titled it, uh, what did they title it? It's This is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, that, was that what it was called? No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Ooh, okay, we can come back to it if you want to, if, you, okay. if it comes to you. No. So. 
Okay, so but you're studying, studying to be a paralegal. So you're still kind of like bouncing all over the place with jobs and things, right? Well, I've been a paralegal for a year. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you, you sort of like, you know, it's like English teacher to something in psychology yeah. to... Yeah, okay. Murder in a jerkwater town. Murder in a jerkwater town. Yes. Okay. Is jerkwater a term? Jerkwater is... It is a term. Okay. Because, well, when you had a steam train, they had to fill up the tank, the water tank. And then the process of filling it up was called jerking. Okay. Because so, there was, a, uh, yeah, there's a whole apparatus for this. Was there a train involved in the play then? Yeah, the train was sabotaged while they were at a jerkwater town, which okay. trapped them at this town. Okay, that makes sense because, then. I've never heard of jerkwater before. Yeah. So, uh, because there's no more spoilers, because the play's probably <laughs> never going to happen again, basically, you had this. People went to this town, and then some outlaws uh, sabotaged the train so that it would be stuck there so that more outlaws could come in and they could rob. Okay. And so was that a story that you had come up with before? Or, like, where did that all come from? Or was that just like, this seems fun? Just, this seems fun. Okay. So, I mean, like, when you when you write something like that, is there, is just the ambition is to entertain? Or is there a little bit more? Or, I mean, what are you trying to do, ultimately? Well, really... What I was using it for was an exploration of the different viewpoints people could have coming in, have in this time period because you had someone from the south, you had people from like you had people who were coming from the north. That's the obvious like area of contention. You had people who were coming from wealth, people who were coming from poverty. You had I really wanted to use it to explore these different mindsets people would have and how can I make these people all human and understandable and sympathetic while some of them might possess ideas or ideals that we disagree with today or agree with today, some of them. Right, because you said it's, uh, what, like six or seven years after the Civil War? Seven. Seven? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's that, that inherent tension. And what year did this one happen in? Ooh. I don't remember the the year. The year. Oh, it's like what? What? I mean, when when the production happened though? Uh, it was a couple years, a few years ago, five years ago. Oh, uh, the production was about a year ago. Actually, just a year ago. Like, oh, I missed this one. Okay, yeah. so all right, so it was uh, February of last year. February of last year. So were you? I mean, was part of that tension then reflecting on the current climate, where it's like civil war tensions seem like they are relevant to the climate today was that something you were trying to reflect maybe okay maybe not like not intentionally but that's maybe like why you're interested in some of that i think i think so because i have family who are from the south i have family from the north half my family lives in minnesota the other half lives in texas they have very different viewpoints but i think we forget that people are just people Mm -hmm. like in the end, everyone just wants comfort, shelter, support, right. and that's what people crave and fear to go without. And while they have different philosophies and ideas, at the end, that's that's all anyone ever truly wants, I think. And, yeah, and so, so that's like that's a big ambitious idea to try to well, you know, communicate. That, I, right? I don't think I really communicated it. Like I didn't try to say, "Here, this is my message. Take it." I, I think I just tried to express it by 
showing each of the characters as vulnerable and well, I mean it still had the it, like I wanted it to be there but I didn't want it to be the focus of the story because it's a murder mystery that's got to be their focus mm-hmm. they've got to be okay here is the story here are the if I pay attention here are the facts the characterization is the flavoring that for me is my favorite part but you need to you need to have more than that right you've got to have like it's like a cake it's got to be a cake if it's a cake it should be a cake it shouldn't just be here's chocolate and sugar right we know you like these things (laughs) i mean although that might get more people into role-playing if you hand them sugar right that's all you need apparently (laughs) yeah but so i mean as you're writing that as a play i mean have you gotten had you gotten interested in playwriting as its own technique i mean are there playwrights that you admire Not, not in particular. Okay. It's just because to do a play is something you could write at the time. So it's like, this is a medium that's accessible to me. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel kind of bad saying that because I know there are some people who are like, ah, you're not honoring the art. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like... Sorry, I don't know. I, no, but you're doing interesting things, though. Yeah. I mean, you do, it's not like you're someone who doesn't care about craft at all. You know, it's just yeah. maybe you're not in the playwriting tradition the same way some other people are. And so, I mean, as you're doing that play, did you act in that one? No, I was a musician in that one. So, like, uh, in what sense? Like, there was a, a live score to it? Yes. Okay. Uh, my, I have a friend who does composing, and she made all original music nice. based off of... She studied... Music that came out of the Ozarks, fiddle music from the Ozarks during that time period. That's, wow, that's lucky that you have a friend who was interested in that. She, uh, well, she made several arrangements and then several uh, entirely original tunes. Okay, cool. And we played that. So, because it was set at a saloon, because these jerkwater towns were basically only existed because the train ran, ran out of water, so it was basically a gas station. Mm-hmm. And they sometimes were out in the middle of nowhere, and the town only existed to accommodate these people stuck there. And they had they had food, they had general stores, and the idea was all these characters are just at this saloon, waiting for the train to fill up on water. And now it's stuck here. And someone got killed... And so now we can't go, even though they're working on fixing it. No one can leave until we get this resolved. I love that structure. I love just the general, like, everybody's stuck somewhere and mm-hmm. things go bad. Like, whether someone gets killed or not, there's something fun because, you know, everybody does just have run into their own tensions if you're stuck mm-hmm. with the same people for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. So I always have fun with that. Is that something that you already liked and you were able to apply to that? Yes. I also like the idea of putting them in the middle of nowhere, Ozark, Missouri. Sure, yeah. And then did you play uh, viola then? I did. I played viola. Nice. Mm -hmm. So, and then, I mean, were you doing other acting as well uh, outside of that around the time, like a year ago? Uh, I was also rehearsing for Silence. Okay. And so how did Silence, how did you start to become a part of Silence? Um, I was looking at the casting calls and I saw one that said, young adult woman. (laughs) <laughs> 25 years of age, brown hair, ponytail. And you were like, well, I was that like, works. Well, whatever. Sure, I'll did, go for it. Did the military angle appeal to you specifically, or did that help you think, like, I can, you know, you, you have what it takes to sort of get into that uh, space that it's uh, operating in? 
Well, she was looking for veterans in particular because she wanted to try to get an all-veteran cast well, as much as possible. And, I mean, I'm in the military, so yeah. I, I checkmarked that box. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, there probably aren't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but are there a lot of people who check, who, you know, do check that box acting in this region? I can say that there are definitely more men mm-hmm. that check that bar- box than women. I can actually only think of one other woman who could check that box in Omaha. Was she in the movie as well? She was. Okay, yeah, good. Glad yeah. To, yeah, she she played my mom. Oh, perfect. <laughs> well, so, I mean. Michelle Blodgett, in okay. case anyone knows her. Nice. Yeah. So, how was that process then, acting in silence? Well, it was, it was, it was an experience because I played the character that was sexually assaulted. So, it's, I mean, it's really, it's a heavy performance, yeah, different no. from other roles you've mm-hmm. played in the past. So, when you, when your rehearsal consists of blocking out the moves for how your character gets raped, it's kind of a heavy evening. Right. But, you know, like I said, the thing about being a character is that person doesn't exist once you take the costume off. Not, like, they exist as the character, mm-hmm. but not as you. So. But surely, I mean, does that weigh on you then? I mean, just to get into that mindset? Or are you able to sort of switch off that performance element of the character when who's going through some sort of trauma? I think I'm able to switch it off pretty easily. I mean, I mean, was, I mean, you know, on set, how do you get to the point where you're sort of comfortable knowing that that's what you have to be rehearsing or blocking and doing all of that? Well, first, I ended up, I just spoke with the person who is playing the assailant and became comfortable with him. And, and so just, we were, he was very professional and Julie was there all the time. So, you know, and I trust her. She wasn't going to let anything weird happen. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. Yeah. So that's something where I'm glad to hear that because like you hear about some of the productions, usually they're not dealing with like a rape scene necessarily, but there have been people who've talked about even just local films who don't feel comfortable on the set, even just like, you know, filming a, like a hangout scene because mm-hmm. of the, the, the culture on the set is not something that makes, you know, especially women comfortable. And I'm, um, do you, I mean, have you found that to be a problem with other people, you know, or yourself and other uh, times you've acted? I have been incredibly fortunate in that I have never been put in a compromised or on position where I felt threatened or any way endangered. That's good. That's good mm-hmm. to hear. Do you, I mean, so you did that. And then after silence was the next project level up. That was level up. So that's a big switch tonally. <laughs> yeah. It felt kind of good. Yeah. I mean, so is that something, are you conscious in some way with the roles you take where it's sort of like you did something really heavy, maybe now it's time to do something light? Do you think of it that way or is it just kind of like what pops up? It's really what pops up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Level Up pops up. How did did you get involved with that one? I saw a casting call in Nebraska Film Association. Yeah. And I was like, cool, I like martial arts. I really would like to be a martial arts mook in some film because, you know, that's that was my ambition was I just want to get in. Yeah. I just want to get in. Just let me do, like, one fight scene <laughs> or something. And you got plenty of fight scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, so Katie Odden had worked with Fastest McGreeves before. Mm-hmm. Was she? Did you talk to her at all about the project? Like, in the sense of before you knew sort of what you were getting into? Um, I don't, I don't really think so. Okay. I was just like... Oh, hey, um, I guess if I'll see her if she's at the casting call. Yeah. 
Well, it's, okay, so then you got the role. I'm sure it helped that you had, you know, you were interested in martial arts to begin with, right? Yeah, I had done martial arts in high school. So I had done jiu-jitsu from freshman year of high school through um, about junior year of college. Okay, and so... Did you, I mean, it was originally a short though, right? Yes. It was originally supposed to be, I think, 20 minutes. And it ended up being, what, an hour 40 or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. And so, I mean, a lot of that was because the fight scenes got extended a lot, right? Yes. Did he add much dialogue or was it pretty much just, let's make the fights? He added a lot of dialogue. He added far more dialogue than there was originally going to be. So that's got to be its own very different experience from everything you've done before. Yes, because... Sometimes we didn't actually have the script until, like, the day before or showing up and be like, (laughs) so I guess we're getting the script now. Was, I mean, does he have, on that movie, was there any improvising or is it like you just, you say the lines as written? Uh, We mostly were saying the lines as written. So you had to memorize them then? We had to memorize them, but he was working... As fast as he could. I right, think that yeah. he was working really hard. Yeah, no, I don't mean yeah, to say yeah. it in a bad way. So but I just... don't mean to imply that it wasn't that he was procrastinating <laughs> anyway. It was that it suddenly became like a feature length rather right, than yeah. 20 minutes. So he was like, I need to write stuff now. Yes. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mean that yeah. in, a criti- in a critical way, but just like how long, how many days did you guys shoot? It was like 10 days or something, wasn't it? Something like that. It was over several weekends mostly. So you had to memorize lines really quickly. Was, yes. And you're working with Michael Burns. I was working with Michael Burns, Jesse Millspa. Um, those are the, the main mm-hmm. three characters. Did you guys have mm-hmm. to figure out some sort of shorthand with each other to get that process down? Or are they both good with memorizing lines on the spot? Well, well, Michael Burns was really good. I don't think he was having any issues. No. <laughs> and Jesse Millspa is a former uh, drama teacher in high school, so... Like a drama, high school drama teacher. Okay, so they so. they were both ready for that challenge? Yes. And did you have trouble with it, or were you able to, I mean, obviously, obviously you were able to figure it out, but like, was it, yeah. was, was that scary to you to realize, I don't really have any time here to figure this out beforehand? Actually, it was somewhat liberating, because it made it so that when you messed up there was a viable excuse <laughs> yeah it's not like it's not like you just didn't prepare with your yeah. time it's like even if i did prepare and i mess like, up i didn't have enough time so i it was a, it was a bit liberating actually yeah. <laughs> so well, is that something then that liberation does that apply to even new roles where you do have more time where it's like is it easier for you to mess up now and feel okay about that uh, no. No? It's just, just for that one? Just for that one shoot? <laughs> just that one. <laughs> well, and then was it fun to do all the action scenes then? Yes. Yes, so much. I I love jumping off things, and I love running. And a lot of that looked like it was shot in a lot of long takes, right? So a lot of the action is just going on for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. It's not like you just do one quick shot. Yeah, no, he didn't want it to be so that we could do a whole lot of cheating. So that's harder work for you. Well, I think it's a lot of fun, and I'm glad I got to do it that way because if you ever get the chance to talk to uh, Michael Burns or Jesse Millspa about us running, they'll they'll tell you just how much fun I was having, and, well, Jesse wasn't always having fun with it. Like he didn't <laughs> want to run that much? Well, Mike and I both run. 
Yeah, so you're, yeah, you're Jesse, like ready for it. Jesse does a lot of lifting of heavy, heavy things. Okay, so. less of just like you know, running around. Cardio. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it kind of works for the character though. You know, and yeah. what he's getting. Yeah. So, I mean, I, th- I thought it worked well, and I do too. It's a fun movie, <laughs> so I think it worked out pretty well. And then, so okay, after level up, then was SOS. Oh yeah, uh, SOS was very recently, like last month. Right. Mm-hmm. What's the story of that one? So that was a platoon of soldiers is coming back from the front line in Vietnam, and they recent they just lost one of their own. They just got back to a small forward operating base. They're on from a patrol and. They are waiting for a helicopter to arrive to come pick up the Fallen. And so the Fallen is still just with them. They they haven't they have the body there. It's just sitting there. And it is about how each of the soldiers processes this grief. And you so you have the platoon leader who is just this young guy who had actually no intention of doing anything in the military, but was drafted. And suddenly, because he has a college degree, is made an officer and told, you need to lead this platoon of complete strangers out to do this mission, which you may not personally agree with, but guess what? You're drafted and now you're doing it. You're here and you're responsible for all of their lives because you are the platoon leader. So you're back to heavy stuff then. Yes, we're back to heavy stuff. And then... You have the platoon sergeant who is your old veteran, like your old grizzled man, who to him, it's a bunch of kids. These are a bunch of kids out in the forest who have no idea what they're doing, particularly that platoon leader. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, where did that come from, that story? I mean, where did, was that based on like stories you'd heard from people? Or, yes. I mean, okay. That is based off of, so when you're in RTC, you get to hear a lot of, stories about how junior officers are placed among people who have had to actually deal with you know war Mm -hmm. and how do you handle that as a junior officer and i heard lots of stories about this is what it's like when someone dies this is what grief looks like for soldiers and For me, I think that we have a tendency to forget that soldiers are just people because you have that uniform. While it's very good at showing us as, you know, the soldier, as a unit, we're all, we all just kind of blend into each other, I think. And people forget that this person's just an individual, particularly if it's a guard unit, because that person could literally be your butcher, your teacher, your school bus driver, whatever. And so you exp- So I was, so the story was not supposed to be in any way political. It was entirely supposed to be, look, you have this person. This is the best friend of the soldier who died. And he doesn't know what to do with himself now because the only thing that was making it bearable was his friend being there. And now his friend is dead. He's like, I don't know if I can make it home. I, I don't know if I can make it through this deployment. And so, but this is where the story is about this ghost. The ghost of the fallen soldier comes back 
and he sees everyone sad and upset around him and is he realizes i cannot pass on i cannot go until i know that my platoon the buddies the people i've served with are going to be okay and so the, the presses the audience because it's an Apollon show so it's interactive he presses the audience to help um them help the different characters to help the different characters Mm -hmm. like i need you to go talk to them i need this group of jokers these people oh in the corner over there they're always telling stories and doing pranks and joking i need you to get them going again i need you to make it so that they're telling stories and making people laugh and i need you to make sure that this guy who hated me this other soldier knows that it's still okay to hate me even though he now that i'm dead he doesn't need to like me he, so this that is kind of thing. Really ambitious, heavy stuff, right? I mean, you're. Yeah. But in the same, I mean, the same way, it's sort of like there seems to be some sort of life affirming element to that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a very simple story. Mm-hmm. But what you're trying to do emotionally is very complicated, right? Uh, or you don't think so? I don't know. It didn't feel complicated when I was writing it. Do you think it worked? I do. I do think it worked. From speaking with people who watched the show. People are telling me that they liked it, that they, that, well, it could have, they told me that it could have felt really heavy. And in the beginning, it felt heavy because I wanted it to be heavy in the beginning. But the whole story is about how people mourn, how people, and part of the mourning process, and this is obviously expedited because it's a story, is you start processing it, you talk about it, you tell stories, you make jokes, you you support each other. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, none of the characters are really truly interacting with each other. And the ghost through the audience is able to get people to talk with each other and, you know, support each other, help each other. It sounds really cool. I wish I had been able to see it. (laughs) I wish more people saw it. It was very difficult to market. Is there any chance that uh, there's a future for it anywhere? Are you going to do anything else with the script? Um, I'm... Thomas Flanagan and I, who co-wrote it, were thinking about writing it as a stage play rather than a dinner theater play, mm-hmm. and we might try submitting it. Well, that's exciting. I hope that happens. I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any other projects currently lined up? Yes. I am working on a podcast. Oh, what's the podcast? It is called Haze. It is about, actually, it's about Benson in a way. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. How so? So, okay. So... There was, for some reason, there's this thing called the Haze all around Dundee, Benson, Saddle Creek area that came in one day and people don't know what it is, but about 130 something years have passed and Omaha, this area of Omaha has been entirely isolated for that long from the rest of the world. And when people go into this haze, they start losing their minds. They hear voices. They hear screaming. They they eventually will cause them to die. So they've been cut off. It's a post-apocalyptic setting in which uh, instead of... It's a post-apocalyptic setting with a lot of horror elements. But one day they receive a radio communication. They intercept a radio communication from somewhere outside of Omaha and they realize there's someone else who's still alive in the world out there. We haven't had any communication with anyone or anything 
since since this all happened, since what we call the calamity. And it is about them sending out scouts into the towns outside to try to find the other survivors. And it is their journey across post-apocalyptic Midwest in search of other people. That sounds cool. What's what, what's the current, uh, like, what stage are you at with that one? Is it, like, ready to be listened to, or are you just working on it? Uh, it's not ready to be listened to. We're aiming for January of next year because we still need to do Foley. I need to finish writing the last few episodes. I have written almost all of them of the 13. Nice. Uh-huh. Are you writing with anyone else, or is it just you? I'm the writer on this one. Nice. I'm writing by myself. That's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. I am very excited about it. And, well, actually... We, we were most of the way through recording, too, for just voices, but we need to do music. We, we need to figure out how we're going to do music because... Probably not fiddle music this time, No, right? not fiddle music. <laughs> we're looking at some form of swing because April is again composing for it, and she loves swing music. Interesting. Okay, yeah. I wouldn't have guessed swing from the, the pitch well, there. Well, we're like, okay, what... Obviously, they can't really have electrical anything because they... Oh, yeah. So, the way that they navigate the haze, they found out that they can mostly block out the screaming, the voices, if they're actively engaged in some form of audio medium. Okay. Interesting. And so, they have devoted whatever scrap wiring system, audio systems that they could salvage out of the Omaha ruins to build in Dundee, Benson, that area, a uh, broadcast system, which is at all times broadcasting just music, talk show, something so that even if people aren't actually in the haze, because this area is clear of the haze, if the haze like fluctuates and comes in one day, there'll always be that voice or music that people can listen to. That's cool. There's something really cool about taking a post-apocalyptic big idea and putting it here because nobody <laughs> really does that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited to listen to this. You said January? January. And it's called The Haze? It's called Haze. Haze. Okay, just H-A-Z-E? H-A-Z-E. All right. And uh, is there any social media or anything for people to follow if they want to find this? Not yet, Not yet because I'm like, before I do any social media, I need art. Ah, yes. Which means... I need to actually teach myself how to use Photoshop <laughs> because currently it's all volunteer. Mm-hmm. No one, we don't have a budget. The budget is zero and it's like, okay, I don't know who would be willing to just do art for me. So, Well, maybe somebody <laughs> listening to this will reach out to you. Yeah, if you're an artist, <laughs> you want to be part of this project. <laughs> it's an exciting project. Everybody yeah. needs to help each other do these but exciting projects. Aside from that, aside from someone appearing out of nowhere, it's going to be me because I also like to draw. So uh-huh. okay. I, I intend to teach myself this anyway. Yeah, you're good at but. teaching yourself new things, it seems like. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'm excited before, for it. Before we do any social media, I want to have some artwork and some uh, trailer. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, some content, actually, sure, not just ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, everyone should look out for that. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I feel like I kind of rambled. That's what the whole show is. It's, that's what podcasts are, unless they're narrative. So that's okay. fine. Well, it, the one, by the way, uh, it is a narrative podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I gathered that, but yeah, it's probably good that we clarified that okay. anyway. Anyway, thanks again. 
Riverside Chats is hosted by me, Tom Noblock. I produce the show along with Ben Matukowicz through our company, Xarbon Creative. We're housed in Studio 62 right in Benson, Nebraska, the headquarters of BFF. Special thanks to our sponsors today, BFF and Fisheye Kombucha. Also, if you happen to be in Omaha today, head on over to the album release party for The Real Zevos. They have an album release today, uh, June 28th. The release of their album Strictly Platonic is premiering at the Waiting Room tonight. So head on over to that if you're still listening to the show. They were on the show before. Go ahead, go to their show at the Waiting Lounge. Then go on over to our page. Go scroll through the backlog and find my conversation with Connor and Jordan of The Real Zebos. It's a great band. They're great guys. Go see it. Also... Be on the lookout for Mary's podcast when that comes out. Hayes coming out in January. I know I'm excited about it. You should be too. I'll try to plug that as we get closer to that. And there are some details. As always, thank you for listening. If you feel so inclined, maybe maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe consider heading over to our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Creative. Toss a couple books our way if you feel it's worth it. Otherwise, thank you for your time. And if I could ask one additional thing. I've got the homework list for you, right? So one is, you know, go to the Patreon. Two is uh, just be happy. You know, be happy today. It's a good day, right? Nice day. Look outside. I'm recording this a couple weeks early. I don't know what it's like out, but it's pre- there's the nice things out there. Even if there's a you know tornado, you can find something nice out there. It can be cool in a sublime and awe-inspiring, horrible way. The other thing, though, is we appreciate if you subscribe to our show on whatever your favorite favorite podcast app is, and if you feel so inclined to re- leave us a review, it does help people get a hold of this show and keep us going. So, thank you. That's all I have for you. All right. Otherwise, we'll be back next week with a local philosopher, Justin Schecht who's going to talk about his philosophy, which is based in the Buddhist method of the middle way. So a little bit different, a little bit of a mixed up, uh, you know, he's not producing some sort of project or anything. He just wants to talk about life and that's fun as well. So stick around for that. Subscribe, leave us a review, do everything you need to do. Have a fun week more than anything else. All right. Thanks for listening. 